You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. My son, Brantley Beck, is going to be leading us in the preaching of the Word today. It is an honor, as your father, to be able to introduce you this morning. Proud of you. He is with his one-year wife. So the next big question is, son, (laughs) just Just (laughs) maybe later. I knew he was going to do something like that. Well, thanks a lot for letting me come and uh, speak with you guys. I hope it's uh, fruitful and we honor the Lord today and uh, what an opportunity it is. It's also great to see everyone. Uh, I think it's been since October since we were able to come back. So Katie and I are thrilled to be back. And uh, like I said, thanks for having us. Uh, the passage I'm going to read today is actually from Micah 6, uh, 6, 1 through 8. You can flip there if you'd like for now. And um, I'll let you flip, actually. Uh, a little intro to it. This is just a basic intro, I think, that's helpful before we get into chapter 6 of what we're dealing with here is that we have Micah here who's, he's a prophet, and he's, he's basically explained to the people of Israel that, that the Lord is, uh, is upset with them, um, with how they've disobeyed the covenant, and so he's basically it's speaking of the indictment of the Lord on his people. So uh, have that in mind as we, as we read this passage. And then today I'm also going to break it up into three sections here. First one through two, uh, you can go ahead and take note of this. I'm trying to be better of, of being more organized with my thoughts too. So one and two, uh, the point will be simply to hear. Uh, three through five, we're going we're gonna to look through that we must remember. And then the last point I'm going to speak on today will be six through eight, and it's just going to be to do. So keep that in mind also as we, as we read. So let me go ahead and read this with me. Follow along, please. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 1 says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Lot, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened with uh, Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for a church that gathers and we simply gather to glorify you and honor you. And I pray as we open up your word today, God, that we will learn uh, truth that you have allowed Micah to share with his people in the current day, that we may learn and grow from that today in, the, in, in, in our world today, God, and that we um, cherish the moment that we have every time to open up your word, God. Use me to, to uh, share truth and speak truth only, God, and that uh, your name is honored. In your name I pray, amen. So my first, the first point will be verse 1 through 2. We're going to talk about hear. What does it mean to hear? Uh, hear, when you think about it, is a very simple, simple word, uh, a personal conviction of mine. I think we, we read scripture. We read scripture with one focus, right? And that's our own lives. How can we learn from this, in a sense? What can we take what we read and do with it, right? The word hear, it, it, it can be done in two ways, and I'm going to explain it two different ways. I think that's what we do today. Me especially, I struggle with this, and I think the majority of us here do this. We hear something, and sometimes we do something with it, so that's one way. Another way is we hear something and we do nothing with it, right? And this sounds silly, but the reason why they got into so much trouble is they, didn't, they did one over the other, right? So we're going we're gonna to understand this, and, and a silly analogy or a story I'm going to tell is, how sometimes my wife hears what I do. And so um, we have a cookie jar, we have a cookie jar that is glass and it has a lid. And uh, she limits what I can eat, sadly. And she limits what I eat. And, and we have a decent sized apartment, but for some reason, every time that the jar lid jiggles, it like rings this noise of joy for me. Like I get excited when I hear that noise. Katie hears it and she acts, right? She, she yells usually. And it usually all she says is, brant, brant, and I'm like, oh, no, she caught me. Because she's hearing, right, she's, this is silly, but she's hearing and she's acting, right? She knows the consequence. She knows when the lid comes off, Brantley's getting three, 300 calories, you know. He's eating three cookies no matter what. So that's one way, that's a silly example, but that, we can relate to that, right? We, we, she, she is acting on understanding or knowledge of something. She's hearing that lid jiggle. She knows it's coming off. She knows I'm about to eat the cookies. She knows I'm going to be happy. Uh, but there's also the other way, and I think we do this too. We fall prey to this as we hear, and this is me all the time. I hear something, and uh, not just something, specifically God's word, I hear it. And I think to myself, man, I should post this. This is good for someone. Not really for me, but it's good for someone, right? Man, this is so good. Like, I got to tell, I got to call my dad and talk to him about this. Or I got to tell someone about this. I could call Bryce, my brother. I got to tell him about this. And it's like we don't understand what it means to hear, right? When, when it, it, there's not an option here when we open, when we read through this. And I want us to just consider that as we progress, right? There's no other option. It doesn't say, think about this. It doesn't say, pay attention, you know, if you're available. It doesn't say, if you're not busy, let's uh, open our ears up here. It just says, hear, okay? So let's, let's, let's read on. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hearers hear your voice. Here again, hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. Also, I think 
this is somewhat important to note. God, in his supreme being, in his might, if no one hears him, he could literally fill this room with mountains and hills if he wanted. I, I don't know if, it, if it's necessarily meaning that in, in a direct sense. I think that's possible, right? God could say, well, my people who are fools and don't want to hear what I have to say, just bring it in, mountains. Let's, let's talk about this, right? Even the, hear, the hills and the foundations are going to hear my words here, right? So the first part, Mike is just explaining, like, all right, guys, the Lord's coming. He has an indictment with you. He's about to say something good here. Like, pay attention. So we get that through. We get to the part which is the indictment, right? And then our, our next thought's going to be, now that we know we have to hear what's coming, well, what, what is the indictment, right? Why does the Lord have an indictment against his people? Um, and so I think what we'll read here is Isaiah. Let's see here. Isaiah 1. You can flip there if you'd like. Isaiah 1, verse 2, I'm going to skip verse 1 to save us. Verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, and they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you, come to, when you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. I'm almost done. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You can keep reading, right? I'm going to read actually 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That right there is why he's, he's charging the people, right? They have committed, in the legal sense, a felony against God. God's simple, if we want to go as simple as possible, God's covenant relationship with his people simply says, obey me, right? Obey my words, obey what I have to say. And we just, 
we just learned in the very beginning of this that, that in, in order to even obey, we first, they first have to hear, right? They have to hear the words, right? They can't just do without hearing. So remember that as we progress. So we're hearing, and now we're understanding that God's, he's, he's confessing why he's charging a, a, felon, uh, a felony towards his people, right? And then he even finishes that little section. I'm going to fight for you, Israel. You're my people. You're my children. You're my chosen ones. I'm going to fight for you. It says contend, but I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to struggle for you, right? And so that's Micah setting the stage. And then we get to three, three, ver, three verse, uh, I'm sorry, three, four, and five. So my first one was here. Uh, secondly, we're going to work into what it means to remember, right? What does it mean to remember? Verse three. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people. Here it is. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. But you may know the saving acts of the Lord. Man, that's good, right? That's really good. So... He asked these two questions from the very beginning, right? And it's almost funny. It's like he's just appealing to the people, like, I'm going to let them, like, kind of give me some substance of maybe why they're fools. I think it's a classic parenting tool that all parents do. Uh, I can reflect back to my mom and dad parenting me. Things I do, they look at me like, Brantley, you know, why would you, why would you say that to me? Or why, why would you, you know, not clean your room? Like, they ask these questions, and as a kid, you're like, I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, it's like it's so, so obvious, right? Well, God's asking these rhetorical questions like, what have I done to you? I'm your father. I love you. And he's about to go into all these incredible things that he did to them that we and they have to remember. Right? They have to remember. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. This isn't as long. Just as good, though. Okay. Isaiah 5 says, let me sing for my beloved or my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hooed out a vine that, uh, wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard? That I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you, what I will do with my vineyard? I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his, and his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteous, but behold, an outcry. This, this is, he's the vineyard here, this picture that he just literally planted is Israel. This is Judah that he's talking about when he's, and he's, He's saying, oh, and back in Micah, oh, my people, what have I done to you? Have I wearied you? And he's thinking to himself, I, I did this. I planted you. 
figuratively, I planted you in a vineyard. I gave you a watchtower in the middle. I built up walls around your, your, your life in a sense, right? There's one goal when I created you. Just yield grapes. Just be a grape, right? And you know what they did? They said, oh, no way. We want to be wild grapes. We want to be wild grapes, right? Man, we want to be wild grapes. You know what he says? Hey, that's fine. I'm going to remove your hedge. I'm going to devour you. I'm going to break down the wall. I'm going to trample you down. I'm going to make it waste so that you're not pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns shall grow up. What a picture, right? And then he even says, I'm going to tell rain not to even rain on you. You're not even going to be hydrated. Every athlete here in the building can kind of cringe at that, right? Like every person, we have to have water. Like imagine. And so imagine God saying this to his people, right? He's asking these questions, but he knows all along the way that he, they have no reason to feel this way. They have no reason to ask, oh, what have I done? Or for him to say this to them, what have I done? How, how have I weird you? Can you imagine being God's people and saying, Oh, God, man, if you just would do this, man, you're just, you make me so restless sometimes. Man, you make me worry. I just can't handle this, God. Like, only if you would just take care of me, if you would just be my watchtower and create a wall around, around me and, and, and protect me. Right? That's what they're saying. They're, they're looking at God and saying this. And so he's asking these questions, I think, as a joke, right? Like, okay, you guys are fools, right? So as we go on, he says in verse 4, For I brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. I mean, all of those I can just group into one thing, right? And ultimately, all of those display God's faithfulness. And uh, uh, the proof pirate thing I was thinking about earlier, I, did, I was asking my dad kind of what the idea was in that. Basically, what I could tell was that, you know, we're trying to find, the proof pirates are trying to find God's grace, right? Like, they're, they're, on, the, they're on the map, maybe, perhaps. They're maybe going different locations. The P and the R and the O and the O and the F stand for different things. What, what better proof do we need right here, right? That God, and we all know the story of, the, of being slaves in Egypt. And I, I'm going to read a little, like, just the, the closing line of that. But without reading all of that, I'm just going to explain. They were enslaved, right? And I, I was even thinking it was interesting even if, even if they, we didn't know the context and he just said, I redeemed you from the house of slavery, would any of y'all want to be in a house of slaves or be a, enslaved in a house? That, I mean, that, that, that takes away all human things. You don't have friends. You don't have family. You don't have luxuries of doing what you want. You don't even have the opportunity to possibly hear. Just think of that, right? But we have this image because we have the Old Testament. We have Exodus. And we understand that they were enslaved. They worked. They were, they, they were slaves. They did slave things, right? And then God, God in his grace, right, he, he says, I'm going to send these guys, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and they're going to serve me. They're going to hear my word, and they're going to they're gonna stand up for you. They're going to talk to Pharaoh, and they're going to say, Hey, Pharaoh, these are God's people. Like, you might want to let them go, or otherwise he's going to send ten plagues and ruin your life, right? He didn't have to do that. That's God's grace, right? You keep going down in the, like, the Balak, Balak, I tried to listen to these words. They're really hard to say. Balak and Balaam and Beor, all these guys, right? Uh, that's in numbers. The story is pretty crazy. Balaam's on a donkey. God speaks through the donkey, right? And opens Balaam's eyes. Isn't that crazy? I was asking, I was telling my mom about it. I don't know why he had to use a donkey. Like, why does he even have to do that? Well, I don't know, but it's incredible, right? He's riding a donkey, 
He's following, and in the story, Balak's trying to get him to Balak's trying to get Balaam to curse God's people, right? Balaam's, Balak's like, Balak's like, hey, uh, come with me. I want to show you this. You just curse these people for me. They're about to kill me. You guys are, you guys just dominated some foes over here. I don't want you to kill my people. Just curse my people for me, real quick. Balaam says, "Hang on a second. Let me talk to God and see what he has to say." Balaam says, "Well, or God says to Balaam, just do what I tell you." So Balaam says, "Okay, God, I will." Gets on this donkey. He's following Balak around these different locations. There's three different oracles, uh, and this is just this side thought. You can look this up, but I just want you to understand the depth of this, right? Balaam does what God says every time in the situation. He does not curse his people, right? So this is another idea of God using people that, and God being faithful, that God would use Balaam to bless people, right? And as we go on, you, we, we, the two locations, uh, Shittim and Gilgal, uh, technically, if you look that up, Shittim is where they broke the covenant again, right? They should have been finished again. Like, we go back to the vineyard scene, they should have been wiped out, they should have been, uh, everything should have been destroyed, they shouldn't have even gotten water, right? And then you get to, to Gilgal, and the covenant's renewed once more, right? And, and we've all been there, if we've read through the Old Testament, it seems so repetitive. Like it, it, it's, it seems silly that they would keep doing this. Like they're, they're, they're fools, you know. Like how silly of them. Like he, he got them out of slavery in Egypt. He, uh, he, he, he had Balaam come and, and represent him and, and be a mouthpiece for him and prevented Balak from cursing God's people. Uh, at, at, oh, actually, I want to read this real quick. Um, at the end of Numbers, at the end of Numbers, in the last oracle. Uh, I'm just going to read what Balaam said. This will be a little bit helpful. Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to read it, but just a little bit. Uh, Numbers 22, or 24. Numbers 24. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to read the very, the very last verse of chapter 24, 25. It's not, it's not that long. You don't have to turn. After, our, after you read the, the three chapters before, it makes more sense. But this is all it says. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. Okay, that's all it says. That's after all that stuff that just happened. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 25, though, let's read this. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods, lowercase g, their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Can you imagine, once more, can you imagine this? That Balaam goes through all these, I don't know how long the time period was, I can't imagine. They're on a donkey or walking half the time. They're going to three different locations. It could have took months, right? Balaam's being consistent. He's being faithful to God. God's telling him, I want, to be a mouthpiece. I want you to be a mouthpiece to me. I want you to tell my people. Or I want you to stand up against this, this, this Moabite, this king, Balak. And uh, I want you to encourage them, right? I want you to maybe like show him Christ, God through me, right? So he's doing all these good things. And the people are like, oh, what a relief. He stood up for us. And then, and then the, next, the next chapter, they blow it again in Shittim, right? They blow it. After God was faithful to them once more. They started fooling around with people they shouldn't have been fooling around with, right? Immediately. And then they started sacrificing to other gods, right? And so that's, that's the epitome of the remember part. And, and let's, let's just think of it from like we're reading this and this is their life. Do you, 
I mean, surely, you think to yourself, surely they remember that. Like, they have to remember. They were enslaved in Egypt. The, you know, God talked to a donkey. They, they blew it at Shittim. And at Gilgal, God renewed the covenant with them, the relationship with them. They ate the Passover, which is like ultimate respect, right? Do you, surely they remember that. They have to. Like, what fools keep breaking a covenant day after day after day, and God keeps saying, I want you in my family. I want you in my family. I will not let you go, right? He keeps saying that. So, and if we think about it, in order to remember, we must first hear, right? So let's keep that in mind. We, we're hearing, we're remembering, and we're going to move on to verse 6 through 8. We're going to do, right? We're going to do. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of, the bo- of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is an amazing piece of literature in a sense that he wrote this at the end of this little section. I know there's, I know there's more to the chapter. But don't you think, even the title of, of verse 6, it says, what does the Lord require? That question is only asked when you're not hearing or remembering, right? Surely by Micah, you would think the people get it. Like, how many chances have they had to hear God? How many chances have they... How many, how many times have they stepped back and remembered in, in, the, in the last bit of that, that you, of, uh, I'm sorry, of verse 5, of chapter 6, the very end of that? It says, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. How many chances have they had to remember that? And we would think, these guys are idiots. Like, they've heard a thousand times. They've had so many chances to step back and just reflect and remember what God has done in their lives. Surely, right? Like, we think that, we read this, and then we get to this part, and we're saying, they're asking, what does the Lord require? That's what they're asking, right? And so it says, what shall I come before the Lord? And I, and I read this. I, I don't know if it's helpful or good. I want to read it like the annoying kid in class who, like, it's his turn to read in class. And he's, like, so annoying. He reads, like, with a silly voice because he's, like, completely against what the teacher's making him do. That's how I read this because I feel like it's silly that I have to read this, right? Oh, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? I guess uh, I'll give him some burnt offerings, a calf's a year old. Uh, I don't know. Will the Lord be pleased with thousand rams? I mean, I could probably work that out. Oh, man, uh, I'll just give him my firstborn. I mean, my, for my transgressions, it won't be a big deal. That the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. That makes sense, right? Like, I'll just pardon myself, right? I'll just, I'll just buy my way. I'll figure out how to get some rams. I don't know. I got a neighbor who has some rams. Like, that's, that's what this sounds like, right? And we read it and we think, how silly. You can't. If this God of, is the God he says he was and he's commanded you to, to hear and to remember and, and he's asking these questions. I think the people are asking these questions and they know how to behave. They get that. At this point, they should get it. And so the fact that he's asking these is a complete disrespect to the God and his name and what he's done for his people. But in order to even answer this question, we have to understand the importance of hearing and remembering. All right? And this whole time we're looking at this, as we read Micah, we're looking at, at their lives, Israel and Judah, right, at the time. And then it gets to, to verse 8, and he says, I, you know, I've told you, oh, man, what's good here? Like, 
just do justice, just love kindness, just walk humbly with your God. And obviously, you know, we can all understand what that means in a very basic sense. What, what doing justice is, what loving kindness is, what walking humbly with your God is. But it makes me wonder, it, it makes me wonder of the simplicity of this, why it didn't occur, right? Why, why in heaven's name could they just not be just? Why couldn't they just love kindness? Why couldn't they just look to God and say, I'm going to walk humbly with you, God. You're my God. Uh, you've, you've, I, I'm going to remember the things you did to me in Egypt. You brought me out. Uh, man, all these things you did. I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to walk humbly with you, God, because you love me, and you care for me, and you brought me into your family. You've chosen me. You're, I'm your people. Like, man, can you imagine being these guys, Israel and Judah, and like a prophet, me being a prophet and telling you that? Like, guys, there's hope. Like, this is all the Lord requires. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. <clears throat> and and the, the crazy thing is, this is the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing. This is us, right? This is us. Like, this is the story of Israel and Judah, but this is us. Day after day after day after day. We refuse to listen to God. We refuse. We refuse to hear I might ignore my wife sometimes, but I refuse to listen to God a lot more of the time. Sadly, right? And, I, and, and we read this and we think these guys are fools. But that's how we are. When, when have we, one, heard what God says and we said, oh, thank you God for saving me, right? Where's the proof of grace in that? I'll show you the proof of grace. How about I make a video of my life and you see what God saved me from, right? All of us, all of us are proof of God's grace. If we're a Christian. And so this, this passage, yes, is talking about Israel and Judah, but this is us. We've got to hear the truth. When we read scripture, it is not optional. It is not a, a request. It is not voluntary. You have to hear. And by doing so, you separate yourself. Either you're going to do it or you're not. If you're going to choose to hear, you're either going to do it or you're not, right? And then I think it's encouraging to us. I'm speaking to Christians right now. It's encouraging to us, verse 3 and 5, to remember our lives, right? If Think about it. If they would have had a reminder, which they did constantly, think about it. If they remember what God brought them out of, okay? But that's us. How often do I forget how lost I was? Amazing grace. I saw it on the sign over there. Amazing grace. Like, oh my gosh. God saved me, Brantley Beck, this selfish sinner who doesn't want anything to do with him, Right? I'm wicked. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want good. I want bad. I'm the, I'm the vineyard. I just want to be a wild grape, right? I want to be sour. I want to be bitter. I want to do my thing. God has set me up to thrive. He says, Brantley, I'm going to create you. One task, obey me, glorify me, do it. You know, but no, I'm going to be a wild grape until, until he saved me, right? He, he sent his son to die for me. And this is unique when you read the Old Testament. It hasn't happened yet, so they're, they're just hearing and, I guess, dreaming in a sense of the future of what's to come. But this last little section is unique, I think, because it's crazy that he would give requirements to people who kept blowing it, right? They, it's, like, it's like telling a prisoner, and I guess they have these in place for this reason, but, hey, I know you just murdered someone, but I have these three requirements for you. Like, it seems crazy that he would even entrust a requirement list to these people. Like, why would they even think about heeding to them? You know, they have no reason to because they're fools. Well, that's us, right? Like, when someone tells me to be just and told me to love kindness and to walk humbly with my God, my 
wicked heart, before I'm a Christian, my wicked heart says I'm not going to, right? Let me get back on track. So when God saves me, I now have like Balaam and the donkey. It says Balaam's eyes were opened. My eyes have been opened. I now see just things, right? I now understand justice. I now understand what it means to be kind. Some of the translations says love, mercy. I now understand what it means to humbly walk with my God because I know I am a fool, right? I, I've heard God's word proclaimed and he has opened my eyes to bigger and better things. And, and in doing so, I, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, uh, this is an encouragement. I pray that you, one, will hear God's word and take heed. Two, you will remember the past in which you lived. You don't deserve life. One of my favorite lines from a Christian rapper is, uh, we're all hell bound like a group of heat-seeking missiles. Can we visualize that? Like it sounds crazy. Imagine being a missile just going straight to hell. That's us. That's us. And then Ephesians 2, we, we understand, but God, by his, by his grace and mercy, right, he saved us. And so the do part changes. The do part changes. It's not, it's not do these things, verse 6 through 7. That's our wicked heart telling us to do these things, right? I'm going to collect these rams. I'm going to get, uh, what's it say, rivers of oil. I'm going to do all these things. How many times in our life do we do that, right? Especially before we're a Christian, we try to clean ourselves up, right? We try to do these things for some unknown reason. We don't even have... Christ in us yet, right? And then as we are a Christian, we have this idea of doing as, well, if I just go to church, if I do these things, if I do these things, if I do these things as kids, if I just obey my parents, do, 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 right? That's not the case, right? Because through Christ, we are able to do these things in verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? Through him, we're able to be just, we're able to love kindness and walk humbly with our God. Interesting thing, too, about walking, right? Just a little word thing with walking. Who here walks with people they don't like? No one, right? You don't, I mean, I think I heard, a, a, let's see, I heard a pastor, H.P. Uh, Charles actually said this. I think this is Pastor Matt's, one of his favorite preachers. But he said, uh, if you're walking with someone that doesn't like you, or if, if someone's walking with you they don't like you, it's called stalking, right? And that's a good way to look at it. Like, I, I, if I'm walking with someone, I, I go walks with my wife. I'm walking with her because I want to be with her, right? <clears throat> that's a very basic It's a very basic statement, walk with God, but it's a very deep idea. In order to walk with God, you got to be friends with him, you know. You got to do these first things. You got to hear him. You got to remember what he's done to have a relationship with him, to hold his hand and walk around the block. You know what I'm saying? That's, That's an easy thing to do, but also it takes a lot of work, right, for someone. So I say that to say the last section of do, right, the only thing we're supposed to do is is these things, right? But we do them, we do them because of what Christ has done for us. And they had their example too. In the Old Testament, they had their example. They had their example to, to be just, to love kindness, and, and uh, to walk humbly with their God because of what he did for them. And those things take place when we hear and we remember and we do, right? That's my encouragement. If you're not a Christian, last little, last little tangent on, on the, or not tangent, but last little thing in the sermon here. If you're not a Christian, none of these things really make sense, right? There's there's nothing to hear because God's word isn't truth for you. There's nothing to remember because you haven't seen the light yet. Your eyes haven't even been opened. You're still seeing one thing in life, you know. And you don't even know it's wickedness probably. And you can't do anything because you're going to be over there trying to pour some oil in a river, right? That's what you'll be doing. And, and we know that gets us nowhere, right? We, that gets us nowhere. But there's hope in that. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope in this idea that God has 
an indictment with us. He's charged us with a felony that we are lost and, like I said, hellbound like a group of heat-seeking missiles, right? That's discouraging. But there's hope. Because he loved us. Because he pulled us out of the house of slavery. Because of Balaam and Balak and because of Shittim and Gagal. God loves us. God loves us, right? That he would send his son. Here we go. This is proof of grace. He would send his son to die for us. He died for me. He died for you. He sent his son to do that. What proof? What more proof do you need, right? And as we read Micah, that's my thought the whole time. What more proof do they need? Well, I'm saying that to y'all today and for me today. What proof do you need? As an unbeliever, that's all you need to know is that you're going to hell, right? Scary, I know. But when you read scripture the correct way, you, you're, either, you're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. That's all, that's, all, that's all it is. There's two sides of the spectrum. And if you're here today and you're refusing to hear, remember, and do, something's not right, right? You're the fool uh, in the vineyard. You're the, you're the one being the wild grape, right? But there is hope. Like I said, there is hope. Christ died for us. He sent his son for us. And in doing so, we're seen as righteous through Christ's act on the cross. There's streams of blood. Forget the rivers of oil. There's streams of blood for Christ dying for all of us in this room, right? He died for me. That's what's encouraging. That's where the hope comes in. That's why we can be just, right? We have the great judge as an example. We have the great uh, humiliator. I don't know how you say that. He's the most humble and, and full of humility there can be, right? He died for us. He gave up his life for us. And then lastly, knowing those two things, that we serve the great judge and he's the most humble guy there is, uh, we can walk humbly with God, right? Anyway, so the conclusion is always the hardest part for me, but I hope that was encouraging to you. Uh, it's encouraging to me, but I want, I want to encourage you that uh, what a picture, right? That these fools who wander around in slavery on donkeys, um, going from town to town, disobeying, violating the covenant, God's constantly renewing the covenant, which is a constant act of God's steadfast love. That's encouraging for all of us. All right, so let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church and what it represents in this town, this community, and the people that serve here day in and day out, God. And most importantly, I'm thankful for your word and for Micah and the truth that we just read. God, I pray that we hear it, God, and we remember what you've done in our lives and we do something about it, God, that we understand that we're either hearing and we're acting on it or we're just hearing and being passive about it and not acknowledging the truth that we hear. I pray that we remember what you've done in our lives so that we can be encouraged and understand that your love is so rich and so deep that we get to sit at the table with you. We get to eat as a family member in your family, God. I pray that we remember that. We understand the, the, the gravity of that, the depths of that, God. And I pray that as we leave here today, God, that we do something about it, that we, that we make moves, that we, that we just we do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with our God, and we understand that things have to, to be in place for, to, to, to walk humbly with our God. And I pray that those do occur, and I pray that uh, you will break the hearts of people in here and open their eyes like you did with Balaam on the donkey and uh, for people who, who are not saved. Your name I pray. Amen.